this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, joined with host Nick and Dan. And in case you're keeping track at home, number five of the week. Happy Friday. Probably a little bit early for that, but yes, Nick, Dan, gentlemen, we are here previewing the Norwich match coming um, at us over the weekend. Uh, It's kind of funny because, Nick, you are flying to the vegan capital of the United States, Seattle, (laughs) to visit Is it the vegan capital? I don't think so. I would like to see some stats to prove me wrong. I'm open (laughs) to seeing them. I'm hoping to see. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm flying out. It's my buddy Drew's bachelor party this weekend. I'm. I'm best man. I've planned a a fun filled, uh, booze filled, soccer filled weekend. And this match comes at 4:30 a.m. on the West Coast. And after a long Friday night, we'll just we'll just have to see how it goes on the old Saturday morning. Uh- PETA says that it's Asheville, North Carolina. Whatever, Dan. You know, PETA's not even a source, all right? They're just a lobbyist group. So anyways, my point being that Nick may have a lot of soccer in his weekend. It sure shit doesn't include Chelsea or the podcast. This is the last time you're going to hear him till early next week. But that's fine because we're going to be talking about the North status. As always, preview them. Then we look at Chelsea, look at our side. Uh, We'll do the Chelsea Youth Update. Then uh, some interesting... Uh, questions uh, after the predicted lineups and scores. So uh, let's jump right into it because we don't have any of the Apple podcast reviews because, well, we literally recorded 10 minutes ago. So uh, no Mm -hmm. sneaking them in. All right, three-word match preview, Dan. What do we got here for this one? Well, uh, this one will not make sense to you, Brandon Busby, because you, unlike 98% of adults, have not seen Game of Thrones. But I think this is a moon door moment. We need to push... Norwich down through the moon door back into the championship. I don't know if I understand that, but Nick, what about you? Well, look, I I think post uh, Malma, Marsh Malma, Marsh Malma cream, uh, we are we're heading into uh, a situation where we can't afford too many more injuries. So I'm going to go with injury free win. Hmm. Let's. Let's just get through this one and, and on to next week. Yes, I am uh, that grumpy old man saying, playing again already? Hmm. 48 hours later, we're doing it again. So um, can't really complain, though. It's mainly the 6.30 a.m. kickoff at Central Standard Time in the United States. Ah, uh, So yes. how are we all feeling heading into this match? If you would ask me 24 hours ago, woo, bring on the Canaries. Let's go. They're terrible. Chelsea are going to route Mama, then we're going to route Norwich, and then we're going to route Southampton, and then Newcastle. We are down two strikers, gentlemen. Holy shit, this has to have changed your outlook. Nick, your frown just turned upside down. And, no, maybe not. And, here we, and we're back. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, luckily we have a deep squad, but yeah, I mean, if you're missing Werner and Lukaku for any extended period of time, this, I guess, would be the stretch to do it in, but you, you really don't ever hope that you have to go through what we're going to go through here. Just some some bad luck and some bad planning. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, look, Norwich are as bad as a Premier League team can be. Um, we, we saw 
we've we've seen some really bad teams in the Premier League. We've seen them play at the bridge. Um, I've seen some bad teams playing at the bridge before. These guys might be up there with all-time bad Premier League teams, um, which only means that they're going to come out and play their best game of the season on Saturday against us. They see a wounded animal. They're going to try and come after us. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to kind of see how that how that works out. Their Their best game is still... JV ball shit. I mean, come on. They don't even have Billy Gilmore to call on, Dan. Yeah, well, apparently they don't call on Billy Gilmore that often at this point because uh, they're not here to give out charity minutes. You know, if he deserves to play, he'll play, according to For Fark's Sake. Um, but, you know, ultimately, this is a winnable match. Like, let's let's just set the, the stage. It's a winnable match. Number Norwich one versus been, number 20, okay? Th- those Norwich are the rankings. have been abject they have been an absolute dumpster fire for their return to the premier league it's been very unfortunate that they have not looked competitive and again they they did not have an easy start like i think we'll caveat that brandon like they did have to play liverpool first they did then go play man city um like that's not played both yeah but okay different when you are the reigning champions of europe yeah, I'm just, just coming up from the championship. Not there's my a problem. Little bit of a level there. Not my problem. I don't know. You think that like the schedule, the, the schedule fixing hey. did not go their way initially. Hey, tab- I mean, table doesn't lie. The you know, last two matches they've steadied and they at least have not allowed in a goal. So I mean that's improvement for them. Like they're on a bit of a, a little positivity bump here. Nick, who brought the Norwich fan to this podcast? Well, just a massive Canaries fan. Uh, Dan has always <laughs> really supported them and. A lot of excuse making, a lot of support. <laughs> Bury <laughs> them. They're twentieth in the table, and we're first. If we don't win this game, it's an embarrassment. That's how I feel about this. Absolute mayhem if that happens, because I believe we're at home, right at the good old yep. Bridge of Stamford. That is correct. We're, da- we're damn right. So yeah, none excuses. Even without Lukaku and Timo Werner, I would expect this team, even like the C plus B minus team, to go out there and do. The business. So, as you said, look, Norwich are last, no wins, six losses. They've scored twice. They've conceded 16, a couple clean sheets, which, damn, that is embarrassing for um, Brighton. Well, oh, yeah, and Burnley. So, there's that. Uh, results, I don't know. Any good ones, Dan, that you want to point out? Any good losses for the Canaries? Uh, well, I would say that in general, for them, not conceding a goal was an improvement. So their last two matches are an Truth. improvement from where they have been, where they have been conceding multiple goals a game in every game, except in the Arsenal match. I, I know that we're I know that we're joking here, but them holding Brighton was pretty impressive. Brighton are pretty good. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, so credit credit play. on the Brighton. You could say credit for one nothing against Arsenal, maybe right. Uh, on the road credit on the Leicester 2-1 loss uh at home again a good t- good side but outside of that I mean when you look at fantasy you always look to see who's playing Norwich and you're like should I captain them and that's just the way it's been this season uh there's really not a lot that we need to get into as far as like the team's statistics or anything like that um it's really interesting though if you look at the team dynamic right because you know Farker's been with them for quite a while, brought them up from the championship. Well, 
had him in the league, took him down, brought him back up. It just hasn't clicked this season. And I understand what you're saying, Dan, as far as like not the greatest schedule, but they have played Watford. They have played Burnley. So no point, you know, one point from those two is, is probably not great for them. Uh, if we look at some of their top players that, that you want to touch on, I mean, it's hard to pick some of them out outside of minutes played. That's kind of like their best statistic. And that being a defender, a defender and a goalkeeper. Everyone else is pretty much up for rotation, including the one-time fantasy wunderbar, Timu Puki. When did Brandon become the biggest FPL fantasy guy in this this podcast? Like, anytime I you can drop it now, you're like... I am to kneecap you in the table. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> All right. This is a guy who watched, like, the Godfather Tight. Casino back-to-back, and he's like, let's <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, Don't go to sleep Pookie, tonight. Though. <laughs> God damn. Uh, many saints of Newark, uh, Brandon Busby, just trying to live uh, out some fantasies here. Timo Bench Fuki, boost, though. I dare you. <laughs> what the? I'm done. Timo Fuki, uh, two goals this season. One of them was a penalty, though. So Norwich have only scored a single goal from open play. Uh, They're not good, mean- Dan. They're not good is the problem. Where do you go from there? Like, that's where we're at. Not Max good. Aarons is good. He's a good player. Great defender. Not expecting anything from him. Maybe Josh Sargent has done nothing for them. He uh, hasn't risen his stock. You know, Billy started out playing. Now he's not playing. Todd Cantwell. What happened to him? Um, I, you know. So that's where we're at, right? Like, long story short, there's not a lot to cover for Norch because there's not a lot to their team. They're one of the teams supposed to be a unit. Hard to break down, play. We saw some exciting performances, Billy, at the beginning of the season. Those have very quickly dried up. Um, and so from a Chelsea perspective, there's you just look at this team saying, how many goals can we score past them? That is the only statistic I want to hear when we play Norwich is, is it one, is it three, or is it 17? Because I need somewhere in there. I want to set a record for XG like Man City did against them. So that's all I'm asking for. I just beat beat up on the teams at the bottom of the table when you got the chance, especially do, because do, do you we're only want to set the state. XG record though? Cause I, I like an XG record's great. It'd be nice to set like a goal record though. <laughs> I, I, I don't want the expected goal awards. Like we had at some points last season. Dan, do you remember Ancelotti days? Good luck. Yeah. Fair. Eight. Oh, See a Wigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Yes, when. Obviously. Do, I would do you remember? To. Going into that last game of the season, nervous as shit, like, God, I hope we don't blow it. And then they just go out and put up eight on Wigan. And you're like, oh, okay, so we're going to win this in the most easy fashion of all time. Cool. Yeah, I feel like Wigan and Villa were like a couple of uh, just (sighs) disasters for for their respective teams. So uh, anyways, we're going to take our quick ad break, get it out of the way. And we're back all about the Chelsea side of uh, this one. Uh, Then we'll do the youth update with good old that Chelsea youth and then a non-Chelsea mailbag. That should be interesting. So thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the show and we'll be right back. All right, Chelsea news. Look, we're doing this pre-presser, which is what it is, right? Um, But I think it's probably safe to say, Dan, that Christian Pulisic will be out. Romelu Lukaku will be out as well as Timo Werner. Outside of that, I think Tuchel will have a mostly stacked deck to choose from. 
Yeah, unless there's some type of fluke injury or situation between now and the time he sits down for the press conference or posts that, that would seem to be the case. And I think in general, yeah, that leads me to believe that we should be in really good shape outside mm-hmm. of maybe our attacking line where, you know, you might see some rotation. And I think that's where Tuchel's going to need to experiment with because after this match, you've only got a little bit of time before you're playing Southampton midweek for the in the league cup so there's not a it's a quick turnaround time to the next match it is i i think the uh, just a note on pulisic like he has a ligament injury you know you Uh, would assume that this is something that you know just hasn't gone well in in recovery if you've ever had a ligament injury and there have been a fair few people that have uh, tweeted at me this week as i put out some tweets on pulisic you know how difficult that is to come back from. I mean, if you've ever had a high ankle sprain, it, I mean, months, except if you're Reese James and you're made out of non-human matter. I mean, like, this is a... Adamantium and Teflon. Yeah, just... Um, yeah, it's it's just a hard one, right? And and you hope, you pray that Lukaku doesn't have a similar thing, right? Like, that's the... That would really suck because he's a big guy. He's not light on his feet. <laughs> That, that may be a longer recovery for him. And then we know the hammies are, you know, obviously a different thing altogether. So just soft tissue injuries, running into the goalpost, you know, breaking a finger or whatever, you know, soft tissue stuff is what it is. Ligaments are just different and you have to treat them different and you can't get pissed off and and throw his career away because of a ligament injury that he got in a hard challenge. Like, I mean, what do we... It just blows my mind, the senselessness of, of some of these people. So I just I wanted to call that out because they do two different kinds of in- injuries. Brandon knows better than the two of us because he works in uh, uh, at, at a, a sports science facility, basically. I mean, you're you're in it all day. You see these athletes train day in and day out. It's just it's a whole different deal. Uh, I think that, A, every injury is different based on the player. There's a lot of different factors as well. You know, and with Pulisic's history, you have to take that into consideration. Um, and it's one of those things that he is quick to break down if he's not fully healed. So Chelsea's medical staff have realized he may say he feels great, but we're, you got to take extra precaution, give it an extra week or an extra, you know, kind of like stage in the rehabilitation process just to make sure uh, he just has a a terrible, terrible track record and they don't want to get into it. So um, with that being said, again, just, you know, Nick fighting the good fight. Uh, But we do need to do some lineup predictions based on on what we do have to play with. So um, look, I can stir the pot. I'm happy to go first. I put Kepa in goal. Aspie, Christensen, Malang Sar is my back three. James, Jorginho, Kova, Alonzo is my back, is my middle four. And Ziyech, Havertz, and Mount up top. And I honestly could see him doing this. Perfect time to put Kepa in. Um, you wouldn't then, put Kepa in on midweek for the cup match? Or are you saying you need to have him play one match before the cup match? I mean, I think I think it's just a perfect time to give easy minutes to Kepa. So Ziyech will come in, unfortunately. Mount will keep his place. Jorginho will stay because he's fresh. Kova will come in. I think you just... You know, bring Conte in if you have to. 
and you just go let Alonzo and James just ball out and play zero defense. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the a lineup. It, the it's, Keppa it's thing. 11, there's Keppa, 11 people there. No, the Keppa thing throws me. He, he's going to play midweek. He'll be all right. Nick, we, we almost went with the same lineup. Good so, point. I mean, like, I, you know, we, we, we had the same keeper. We had the same back line in, in Chalba, Christensen, and Rudiger. Yeah. I did go with the uh, alternate wing back option um, and a different midfield pairing. I went with James and Chilwell and then Conte and Jorginho with Hudson and Doyle, Havertz and Mount up top, which you also had. So, I, I think, you know, look, you, you brought, you didn't bring Jorginho off, but you did bring Conte off early. You brought Asby off earlier. You brought Chilwell off. They all had an opportunity to rest, likely with an eye on this weekend. That's just my guess. And then I think you go fresh with um, maybe an Aspie and Alonzo in the, the, the cup game. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a, a right answer against against Norwich, frankly. But, yeah, I went with uh, with Mendy, Chalva, Christensen, Rudiger, Aspie, Alonzo, uh, Ruben, and Kova. In, in my midfield, uh, give give that rotation thing a try that I mentioned after Malma, and uh, and then yeah, I think like we all said in the in the Champions League match review, uh, Hudson and Doy, give him a run. I want to see him play four or five consecutive games in that position. I want to see what he can do, and I want a sample size to measure against. And you know, if he succeeds, great. If he doesn't, you have an answer, right? Um, so. Uh, Havertz and Mount make up uh, that. Havertz is likely going to play for the foreseeable future, <laughs> just given our uh, limited options. Well, I think there's going to be rotation. Itself. It's just a matter of who and where, right? For some reason, I just feel like he's going to play Ziyech over Cal Matsunodoy. I don't know why, but it just seems like Tuchel never really lets Cal get going. And so that's what I'm kind of predicting, but it's definitely not what I hope for. Uh, score predictions. I said one nothing because why not, right? You know we struggled, uh, and, and we needed a, a Chillwell volley the other week. It's probably gonna be the same thing, right? Like uh, leave it late, sneak one in. Probably had twenty five shots, but just wasn't clicking for us. That's my prediction, Dan. Jesus. What yeah, a- it's interesting. We, we we all build here. Uh, I went with uh, two two nil to the Chelsea, and I think it's. I think it will be a frustrating game just because the teams in the lower part of the table tend to be more compact, tend to be harder to break down. And if we talk about what Chelsea's kryptonite has been, it's been <laughs> 10 behind uh, ten behind the ball is really hard for us. Uh, nine behind the ball is really hard for us. And so I think that will make it for a little bit of a frustrating day. But I think the quality will persevere, Nick. But I think you're even more optimistic than I am. I think we're going to batter him. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be 3-0, and that's only because our finishing isn't great. Uh, you know, City put up five on him. Liverpool put up three on him. There's no reason why we can't put up at least three on him. And uh, and Cruz, like, your, your best-case scenario in a match like this is, you know, if, especially if you go with a lineup like Dan or I have, is that you make some early subs and you can uh, avoid any further injury crisis if you're up 3 nil at half. So that's what I got. I didn't think Rubens really solved a huge problem, especially in like the fatigue of the midfield. We were so worried about the health of Conte and, and Jorginho and not really trusting Kovacic. And his emergence has been huge. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like... We wouldn't have the flexibility. I mean, Ruben started two matches ago. 
Uh, he's come on late in matches. He's looked great. We're like, so who? We've we've almost forgotten about him. I think that's a huge piece of this puzzle. Reese coming back from fitness. Now you're back to Reese and Aspie being able to play right wing back. Alonzo and Chilwell seem kind of interchangeable at this point. It's just that kind of attacking three is where we need to kind of get some fluidity and some consistency, which obviously won't happen with the injuries. Um, but like the defense is always locked down. So again, I... I just think Ruben has been a, a huge, huge save for the for the team there. So, uh, one inconceivable prediction: I said Billy runs to Tuchel and begs him to take him back. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's, he's standing outside with the boombox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gonna uh, accidentally get on the Chelsea coach. I I think I think Mister Havertz is going to get a hat trick. A hattie for old Havy. A Hattie, baby. A Hattie. Uh, I think that Norwich are going to score an own goal. <laughs> I think half of our goals that we get in this game of a 2-0 victory will come from Norwich actually getting into the box. Could be a massive deflection. Could be a header that they don't clear appropriately. It's just going to be something funky. It's my, just, that's the nature of their season. My other weird one <laughs> was going to be because of the managerial situation that they wear Lederhosen. <laughs> And they're technical areas for Oktoberfest. That'd be kind of fun. Interesting. All right. Well, and you laughed at me. So anyways, uh, let's go ahead and pitch it over to Phil with the Chelsea Youth Update. Uh, We had UEFA Youth League to cover. uh, So big one there. Uh, So yeah, over to you, Phil. All right. Thank you, me, for passing to me. But really, we're passing to you, Phil, the expert at Chelsea Youth himself. Uh, it's kind of funny how sometimes people um, don't realize there's always a human behind a handle. You're more than just a Twitter profile. Uh, so they tell me, although I'm happy to be a Twitter profile to to the majority. <laughs> Easier that way. Uh, well, look, we've got three matches to review, including the UEFA Youth League that paired up with Chelsea's match against Malmo uh, midweek. So, but all the teams played. So I guess where do you want to start? I think we can start with the UEFA Youth League against Malmo. It was the most recent game. It was the one that was broadcast live to to the biggest audience, and it was it was an impressive win in the end. Uh, Chelsea were two 0 down after an hour and staring uh, a pretty tough second half of the group phase in the face, uh, and then mounted a, a comeback to win four two, which leaves them in command of their own destiny in the group uh, with two wins from their first three games. And they they know that if they can win their their last home game in match day five against Juventus, then they've got a pretty strong chance of winning the group, which is important mm-hmm. in the UEFA Youth League because you avoid a playoff for for the last sixteen against uh, one of the teams that comes through from the domestic champions path. So you play one fewer game. So we're rolling. I look. I'm not gonna lie. I started to like. Because it was early that match, right? So I yeah, it was noon in the UK, so it wasn't favorable for anybody stateside at the very least. No, I was following your tweets though, right? And I'm like down one nothing. I was like, damn it, I cursed us. I said it last week. I was like, unless you tell me something that I'm not ready for, Phil, we should win, right? And, and then I we're think down. I said to you at the time that <laughs> that Malmo they they get miscast in a way, and I, I pointed this out on Twitter afterwards because they're the so-called weakest team in the 
senior Champions League group when the results have bore that out so far. That they're they're assumed to be the same under nineteen level, but they they've got a decent academy team. They held Juventus to a, a two two draw on match day one and only lost mm-hmm. in stoppage time to Zenit on match day two. So it wasn't a surprise to see them cause Chelsea problems. And a lot of the the, the issues that Chelsea faced for the first hour of the game is that they simply didn't hit their own standards. They they were a little bit nervous. They were a bit shaky. So one or two loose passes or stumbles on the ball you start playing sort of within yourself and you play scared uh, and they that's exacerbated when you go 1-0 down inside the first 10 minutes or so so they, mm-hmm. they didn't play that well in the first half there were there were changes at half time and they were 2-0 down and that's when you start to uh, see okay have you got the character to come back? But then you look to the coaching staff to to bring about changes. You've got five subs in the Euro- European competition. How can you use them to your advantage? Yeah, so they 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 had the changes uh, that came about and started as soon as I got at half time. Uh, Dion Rankin scored a beautiful solo goal to get them back into it. He chopped back onto his weaker foot, curled a beautiful effort into the top corner. And they they gathered the momentum from there. Uh, Xavier Simons scored the equaliser with a cross from deep on the left that the Malmo goalkeeper got absolutely nowhere near, bless him. He just lost the ball in the flight and it went straight in. And you could see that the momentum was starting to shift even more. And It was just inevitable that Chelsea were going to score. Brian Fiavema got a free header. He made it 3-2. Continues his really good form. He scored a hat-trick for Norway's under-18s in the international break. Followed it with another goal against Wales. Came back, scored in the Dev Squad game at the weekend that we're going to talk about in a second. And then scored here. And then Silko Thomas scored right at the death to make it 4-2. Just capped a, a nice half hour performance or so from him he, he went up to left wing back and and really helped change the game just Myers did it against Juventus as well he put a lot of attacking talent on in the second half and said right if we're going to lose we're going to lose with a fight we're going to give it everything we've got Malmo aren't quite the same caliber of team as Juventus so you can eventually overwhelm them physically technically and with the intensity and it, it's important so now they sit second in the group with six points Juventus have seven Played three, one, two. You go into the back half of the group with the trip out to Malmo in a fortnight. You're welcome to Juventus to Kings Meadow before finishing off in St. Petersburg. And like I said, they'd hope to win the group because that means that they would avoid a playoff. All right. So progress is there. It wasn't easy. It was pouring, by the way. It was pouring down with rain for a brief spell before half time, and it was it, it finished in glorious sunshine, which sort of good. If, if you believe in pathetic fallacy, the weather reflecting the mood of the conditions of the match, it sort of did that. Chelsea didn't play well when the, the rain was coming down heavily. Finished off all well, happy, bright and sunny. Oh, good. All right, so we've got the UEFA Youth League, so we can go to the Dev Squad then. Uh, we should say we have a clean sweep of victories, which we think is the first time this season we've been able to say that. So. Dev squad pulling it out. Yeah, they played Derby in the PL2 at the weekend, um, a Derby County team that was bottom of the table coming into it. And with the challenges that that club is facing on and off the field, they have been forced to use their academy players at higher levels than they would like to. So they weren't necessarily at their strongest. Um, Chelsea made hard work of it without ever looking like they were going to lose. Derby had a couple of moments in the first half. The longer the game went on, it was a matter of will Chelsea make the breakthrough. Derby sat in and defended in deep in numbers. They matched the the three four three shape. Uh, it, it changed in the last ten minutes when uh, Fiabemba won a penalty and Derby's Reese Hutchinson was sent off for a denial and goal score opportunity. Harvey Vell put that penalty over the crossbar, and you're now starting to think. Okay, here we go again. Another game that Chelsea have played well in, but haven't gotten a result. And then almost exactly as the the clock hit 90, George McEachern scored um, a tap-in from Vale's header back across goal. 
there was a discussion as to whether it had gone over the line. There's no VAR in PL2, but the linesman gave it. And then Vale got another assist with a lovely clipped through ball that Fiabema um, stuck into the top corner with with a plum, really. It was a really nice finish. It was a nice way to finish the match. Uh, and it keeps the good form going for this group. It, it was right in the middle of uh, a run of games. They won at Bristol Rovers in the EFL Trophy last uh, last week. Uh, many of the boys then went on to beat Juventus. So they're starting to, to find form after a really tricky first couple of months of the season. They've now won three straight. Uh, and they're looking a little bit more settled, both in terms of the personnel and in the way that they're playing. In the PL2, um, Lewis Baker has helped uh, it'd be a, calm, a calming influence himself. He's always there, as we spoke last time about. He's, he's a release valve for some of the for the younger players. You can give it to him. He's 26. He's played hundreds of senior games, senior thousands of senior minutes. He knows what he's doing. But it, at the same time, you've got two 17-year-olds in Lewis Hall and Brody Hughes who are becoming more and more accomplished at this level. Harvey Vale looks an outstanding player, whether he's playing left wing back or in central midfield or further forward. And Dion Rankin is really starting to affect games as the right wing back. He scored, as we just said, against Juventus. But he, like so many before him, Tino Livramento, Reese James, Tarek Lamptey, Dujon Sterling, is almost the next one off the conveyor belt at the right wing back position. He's still got a long way to go, of course. But when you can affect the game at both ends of the pitch and show up on the score sheet with goals or assists as he's been doing recently, then you're on the right track. I mean, there's nothing better, especially right now in the modern game for a, an outside back or fullback to have that ability to get forward. I mean, Danny Alves really shaped that by saying he's such a good defender because of what he produces offensively. Like he was a, he was an athletic defender, but like no one was like, Oh yeah, his, his timing of a tackle is superb. No, everyone was like, have you seen that left foot delivery? He can, he can serve it in from anywhere. And he's got that engine to stay forward. Um, and so it's just so crucial uh, that there is that kind of end product in the offensive third. I mean, even Aspie yeah. is that right center back, right? Him exactly. being able to serve in those crosses to for the name assist Pilaqueta. And it, it's there's a, a bigger point that certainly isn't for this this brief catch-up about when you play three at the back with wing-backs about the importance of what those wing-backs do in an attacking sense because it stops it being a five-player defence or a, a three isolated three forwards and then you can suddenly have five in the attacking line. Uh, you can play around with their positions. You've seen what Thomas Tuchel's doing at the minute with Alonso or Chilwell or whoever's on the right almost moving into an attacking midfield spot on the edge of the area. There's much you can do with it but the, the the academy team certainly over the last five six seven years have lived and died by the impact performances from their wing backs and it's really encouraging in that regard to see Rankin uh doing what he's been doing in the last few weeks on the right we've had some issues on the left with player availability and having a look at options they've got another one now in from Wrexham on trial a guy called Dan Davies of Wales under 18 international so they're still looking to to strengthen their options there but the performance that Silko Thomas put in off the bench against Mahambo is encouraging he's now back and you might see him get a run in the team as well all right well uh so that was a late winner right which is kind of nice uh but now as we go ahead uh you know to the the other teams that we have uh you wrote that they were both comeback wins for the 19s and the 18s obviously we covered uh the UEFA Youth League but it's kind of just an interesting flow, I think, from all of the teams and kind of like how weird it was that they all kind of faced the same challenges and overcame the same challenges. They did, yeah. The 18th went to Reading in match day two of the under-18 Cup, which is not to be confused with the FA Youth Cup. They beat Blackburn on match day one, also 3-2, back at Cobham. 
Uh, and they were 2 0 down at half time in this one to uh, to a decent Reading team, uh, and then bounced back again. The power of substitutions. Ed Brown made a change at half time, uh, and they scored twice within five minutes of the restart. Edwin Anderson played in that one and scored, and then Malik Mothersill continued his fantastic form. He scored his seventh goal of the season. He assisted the other two goals in this game. So whether he's leading the line or whether he's playing out wide as he did in this game. He's, he's having an impact each and every week. The winner in that one was scored by Louis Flower, who has recently signed his pro, first pro deal with the club, made development score debut, made an under-19 debut, now getting a run as the, the nine for the under-18s and scoring there. It was a really young team. These two teams will meet again next week at the same ground in the under-17 Cup. Um, maybe there was something in it that, yeah, one, two, three, four, five... Six of the match day 16 were under 16s who are likely to be involved in that, plus another uh, couple of them who, uh, the likes of Tudor Mendeladowu, who's a first year scholar who's uh, missed the start of the season injured. He made his debut for the season off the bench. He might get minutes in that. So it might have, I wouldn't say a dress rehearsal, but you might see a lot of these players go head to head again next week in the under 17 competition because Reading played a really young team themselves. Well, look, I think it's, it's definitely positive momentum. I was trying to think. You were kind of, you made a comparison tweet, you know, for last year and kind of the record and where the team was at this year. I can't remember which one. It maybe the dev squad. I think you're it just was kind the of dev trying squad. to look at it. It was after the Derby game. Yeah. It was the uh, after ten games. It, yeah, they they won the same number of games. They almost uh, they were, uh, but but for a stoppage time goal, they would have had uh, against Exeter back in September. They would have had the same win draw and loss record uh, after ten games of each respective season. And I found that interesting because there's been a, an undercurrent of dissatisfaction among the. The, the Chelsea Twitter, the Twitter Chelsea fan base, which I know is never representative of everything else, that the development squad are, are underperforming, are disappointing, are not hitting the standards of previous years. There's been some criticism for Andy Myers, and I think a lot of it is misplaced, not just because the results don't stack up, but also this is development football. The teams are not necessarily going to be as good as they have been for the predecessors, the five youth cups in a row, the multiple UEFA Youth League titles, because those teams were historic, and they're historic for a reason. It's when those runs end and you you then see what comes afterwards that you get to properly reflect on those teams being outstanding and why they were so. I think there's there's no need to panic in academy football, certainly not the level that Chelsea are playing at. And I think the results are starting to bear that out right now. And you also play 90 minutes for a reason. You play a full season for a reason. The, 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 the reaction online when Chelsea were 2-0 down against Malmo compared to the reaction at full time a lot of the criticism that you see after an hour has suddenly disappeared people have gone quiet because they come back and won it's easy to be critical when things are going wrong and i say that as somebody who's been very critical of first team managers in the past uh, there's a different dynamic that works at academy level that you're dealing with teenagers you're dealing with very young footballers who are only at the outset of their journey some of them not even in their professional journey so I think as we get towards Christmas, you'll start to see what the development squad looks like and the benefits of blooding some of them at 16 and 17 in the first half of the season will be reaped as we hit the second half of the season into 2022. All right. Well, I mean, I think overall, like I said, I, I don't want to kind of get into like a, how are we doing so far? I want to save that closer to the end of the year, more of a halfway point. But um, again, it's the the reflection and the comparison is great. And I think it was a powerful tweet that kind of showed, Hey, here's where they're at, but look at where they could go. Um, and that's what we're always talking about with, with the Academy of football It's where they could go. It's 
learning from the experiences as you go along, making sure that you don't make the same mistakes twice, making sure that you build on success and position yourself as a club and as individual players to be the best that you can be uh, any given part of time in your career to eventually produce top level professional footballers. And regardless of what the results have been saying so far this season, there is undoubted ability and potential throughout the age groups. And I think the way that the results have gone as October's gone on and you see the comeback wins from every age group, there's there's a fight and there's a spirit that's still there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that's good. Uh, we'll keep it running. What's the lineup this weekend, Phil? What do we need to pay attention to? The under-18s are back in league action away to Fulham on Saturday morning and We're the squad. Fulham are very good. They are the reigning champions of the Southern League. They've won the last two editions. They're a very competitive team. And then the under-23 development squad are up at Leicester at 5pm UK time on Saturday evening. It'll be a challenging game. Leicester are decent, but it's a winnable game, especially the form that Chelsea are in. Love it. All right. Well, like I said, it's early kickoff for us stateside. Uh, it is still early for you guys compared to what you're used to uh, for the for the first team. So many matches to, to kind of take in if you're able to follow them. As always, we'll post links when we can. But that'll wrap us up. We'll send it back to the crew to finish up the match preview episode. All right. So instead of just ending, Dan, you couldn't help yourself, could you? You had to put a call to action out and Discord and look what you got. Well, I asked for questions and people had non-Chelsea-related questions. This is our fifth pot of the week and you're like, yeah, let's just do a mailbag impromptu. Typically, they're more Chelsea-centric, but we had a few people who wanted to ask more substantive questions. Uh, Off-topic yeah. question. When you say substantive, I'm really excited with two Brent's initial substantive question. Feel free to read it, Dan. Which bear is best? False. Black bear. <laughs> so much depth. I you do know, love uh, the quote, though. I, I did. I, so I did do some uh, reading in between. On bears? Uh, popular, yes, I did. Popular Science had a very fun article about the different types of bears. Popular Science Plus? You have a subscription? <laughs> Do they have one? I'll sign up. Uh, the spectacled bear from South America, super cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's in the. It's like a rainforest bear, right? Uh, yeah, so it's the yeah. uh, largest carnivore in South America, but it actually typically only eats like fruit and veg. Um, but it's also like the last of the short-faced bears. It's really just like it's got a really cool like story, and it looks awesome because it looks like it's wearing glasses. How long have you been in Seattle? Fruit and veg, bruh. <laughs> God, Dan, come back to us, Nick. It's, I need you just, to. I need you to give him some bourbon and some meat while you're there this weekend. Promise me. It's just trying. He's just that bear's just trying an alternate lifestyle, you know. So it's just trying to get healthy. Um, I was trying to think of a really cool bear, but no need. I my All favorite bears, bear is panda bears. Care bear. My favorite bear is a pair a bear that ends up in a uh, in a hot tub somewhere in someone's backyard. Yeah, I love hot tub bear. Hot tub bear is the best. That's fair. He's just chilling. Ain't a ain't a worry in the world. Yeah, he's literally never been happier. All no. right, Gabriel says each host gets sent to a separate deserted island. Islands are identical with the same conditions on each. Who would live the longest? <laughs> I mean, duh. this is a great question. This is a great question. It's a layup. It's a layup. Yeah, it's me. It's you. Yeah. Okay, explain yourself. I'm from the Midwest. Duh. As am I. Well, kind of. From like the uh, armpit uh, he, of the here's Midwest. Here's the deal. The, the, uh, the people <laughs> voted. Um, Did they? 
They did. There was a poll. Uh, Brandon, Dan, Nick, uh, Joe also uh, factored into the poll as well. First out. And then uh, option E, definitely not Brandon. There's no corn to eat. Um, Nash. Wow. And so, Nash. Nash. You got, we got problems. All right. Uh, one one vote for Brandon, uh, two votes for Dan, two votes for Nick, two votes for Joe, seven for definitely not Brandon because there's no corn. Yeah, see, this is an, a non-scientific poll. There was one for and one oh. against the sarcastic one against me. I'm going to take those seven against and actually flip them to four. So therefore, it was a fucking landslide. See, Joe would find Anyways. whatever honey is on the island. Yeah. Well, and as, start, as we know, Joe has, can start, make his way off of an island. Yeah. So. He'd start his own oh, manufacturing okay. business. He he'd require a trade route, and then he'd beat the fuck out of there while we were starving on our separate individual islands. Uh, I will say, I, I was I was in Boy Scouts for a minute. I do know how to build shelter. I do know how to do a thing. So I think the thing I would struggle with is like I'm not a great climber. So like getting the high up fruit and veg, as Dan would say, difficult um, with my stocky frame. It only takes me like two minutes to burn. So I clearly am not made for island life. So yeah, that, that would be a problem. All right. Interesting. Dan, Dan just disintegrates when he reaches just yeah, but done. Apparently I'm last place. So shithousery at its finest. Sorry. Do you, do you have survival skills? Yes. Do you? I've survived longer than you. Step one. <laughs> <laughs> By months. So... Uh. Kate asks, what is the proper way to order a steak, a red piece of meat? She says, ask rare, medium rare, medium or well done. Bonus question, what cut of steak? Please note you will be judged. I appreciate the uh, yeah. the right, tenacity behind yeah. this one. Uh, I mean, Nick, I guess you have all of yours lined up and ready to go so we can, well, we can do that. There's a general rule out there for those who are, are new to the steak game. If it's a leaner piece of meat, you cook it more on the rare side because it doesn't have as much fat to render. If it's a more fatty piece of steak, you can kind of let those juices flow. So just, you know, just understand the scale at which you're cooking. I do have a couple of options for those who are intrigued. Uh, if I'm grilling my own and I, and I go to a local butcher, there's one like two blocks away from me in Kansas City. We have wonderful meat here. It's great. Uh, I would go with a porterhouse because it's two steaks in one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the, it's it's a really important thing. Now the the trick to it though, as as binging with Babish, I think Dan knows that YouTube channel. Uh, you cook one of them uh, a little bit uh, more than the other. You leave the uh, fillet on the rare side, and you uh, cook the other side. I forget which is the other cut, but a porterhouse has two cuts in it. You cook one a little longer than the other. It comes up perfectly. Uh, I like a little char on mine. I like a little you know just a little crunch on it. And then uh, the other option is whatever the hell I had at Gaucho, which is an Argentine steakhouse yeah. in London. I had mm -hmm. some chimichurri on it. I don't know what the, it was magic. It, I don't even, it was wild. But if I was cooking my own, porterhouse medium rare. Let's go. This is, a, this is a good con uh, conversation. Good question. Uh, Ribeye or rib cap, actually, preferably, mm. would be like a, a sneaky choice, I think, for best cut of meat. I, I do agree that, you know, I, I tend to prefer a, a more medium rare steak. Um, I, I will say my favorite uh, eating out type of steak experience will probably always be House of Prime Rib in San Fran. That was awesome. It, it is just a old school classic dining experience with a plate of super rare prime rib. Uh, you got that horseradish sauce you throw on top there. You got your 
cream spinach. You got your mashed potatoes. It's uh, you know we played heaven. You got your Yorkshire pudding on there. You forgot. You get the Yorkshire pudding. Deal. So yeah. interesting little twist here. I I would like. I've had Wagyu once. It's really really good Wagyu steak. Um, so that, that is definitely a delicacy. I could get tomahawk cause it looks violent, right? You got the huge rib <laughs> coming out of it. it so it just makes violent. me feel a little bit more paleo and caveman esque. Um, I have a sous vide. I've been sous vide everything lately and it is so good. So I can sous vide a steak, uh, cooks it all the way through super juicy, tender, hit it on the cast iron, sear it a couple minutes each side. And it is so good. So again, I I've been sous vide lately, Kate, and it is delicious. What so, what temperature? So I I go medium rare. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're all in agreement. Fortunately, Elizabeth is like a like a medium well oh, well, no. and like yeah, can you microwave it just to get the? I'm like no. Mm. So her dad and I are working on her. Her mom and her mom are like, if it's pink, and like I can't do it. I was like. <laughs> It's going to be chewy and hard to eat. So, yeah, uh, make sure you take care of the piece of meat. Oh, another another YouTuber that, or uh, actually an Instagram follow is Max the Meat Guy on Instagram. Oh, guy, yeah. He does an incredible job. So if you're ever curious about steaks and like a little science behind it, uh, Max the Meat Guy. All right. Uh, last one from Tech Tiger. Uh, look, clearly these were well placed together. On there's, there's a theme. Yeah. <laughs> What's the host's favorite bourbon drink? So you two are the bourbon guys. I did just have one. I guess it's kind of hard to get. It's from Kentucky. It's like in a. It's like in a like a globe or spherical bottle. I oh, feel like you have a Blanton's. Of, yeah, Blanton's. Yeah. So my buddy from Texas, he came up and brought Blanton's with him to Minnesota, and so we sipped on Blanton's on Saturday. It's pretty good. It was really good. So yeah. that's it's, it's a little. It's like notoriously overrated for the price or whatever because a lot of them are secondary market doesn't matter it's good though it you know don't don't get it twisted very good uh now i read this two ways dan bourbon drink would insinuate something old-fashioned or something like that but if it's yeah, that's bourbon, how i read it i, I okay. read it less as the bourbon choice but more of the what if you had to get bourbon in a beverage um what would that beverage be? Yes. So uh, my Happy. favorite, my favorite bourbon drink is is a, a little place in Kansas City called Rye. They do something called an Old Square, which is their take on an old fashioned, but not as sweet as an old fashioned. And an Old Square is an absolute delight. And if you're ever in Kansas City, go to Rye. Um, wonderful food and wonderful people. I, so I, I like an old fashioned. I mean, they're good. Uh, I typically prefer the bourbon just by itself or, or with ice. If I'm going to get a bourbon-based beverage, though, I actually think it's hard to beat, like, a mint julep. I think it's just, like, such a, like, I know that, like, it leads typically to whiskey, but there are plenty of places who kind of lean in with it being more of a bourbon pour. And I don't know. That's uh, one I kind it of It should be a bourbon pour. I mean, it's a Kentucky drink, so it should yes. be a bourbon pour. But, yeah, I, I would... I think it's a little too sweet for me. I, I, mm. I need to cut down the sweet. I want the, I want the bourbon. Fair. Yeah. That's it. We've answered the questions. They're done. That, that is the non-Chelsea great mailbag. Great mailbag, though. Like yeah, that. great questions. We like we like these. We'll take more of them. More. Well, look, we covered a lot. We covered how bad Norwich is. We covered that Dan has a soft spot for Norwich. We covered Chelsea and the potential lineups, the predictions. 
Uh, the inconceivable prediction, talk to Phil, Chelsea Youth, and we ended with that. So hopefully that just puts you in a good mood for your Friday. Hopefully that gets you to a place where uh, you're excited about waking up at who knows what time for either a 7.30, 6.30, a 5.30 to 4.30 a.m. kickoff. Uh, I will be in the 6.30 group, so bummer for you two. Uh, then I'll be going to Iowa State after that. So great day ahead, double header. I hope you all are excited as we are. So that's going to wrap us up. Hope you enjoyed the five pod week as well. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.